And welcome back to the Cibolo Creek Conversations podcast. I am Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. Hey, have you ever done any kind of research on who listens to our podcast? Yeah. Um, it, it, I have the numbers, so I can okay. track the numbers. Um, so what are we up to, six? Yeah. Six, okay. Good handful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can get a general idea of like where people are, kind of. So, obviously, most are in Texas, but there is those outliers here or there. There's always that, like, one person from, like, Indonesia. Oh, yeah. And who knows if that's actually <laughs> right a person listening. Um, and, yeah, different states and stuff, but y- YouTube gives me better analytics, and I think a good majority of our listeners actually listen on YouTube now, but... Listen to the podcast on YouTube, yeah, meaning they're watching I think, it. <clears throat> I think most people would... If they can, they would rather watch. Can you tell the difference between, do you have like those stats, who's listening, who's watching? Is it divided out like that? I can. I only have the numbers of them, um, which I can get. But yeah, I, I, I think that a lot of people, especially whenever the episode first drops, mm-hmm. later on, I think people are listening to just via podcast. When episode first drops, like our core group of folk, right? folks, um, they, I think, would rather watch. So, and new people, the likelihood of us picking up new people would come through YouTube rather than just a podcast platform. Well, I was just going to say to those listeners who are not in Texas, so those listeners all over the world of the (laughs) six, (laughs) they have no idea how hot it is here in Texas right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. It is really hot. I go on walks throughout the day so that I stay sane (laughs) and... Um, it's starting to get to where I have to shower almost every time I'm back. But I go on like four of them. Yeah, wow. I don't actually shower four times, but I Take feel like four I need walks to. in a day. I've been walking like five miles a day. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, that's on top of my yeah. I'm on top of my workout. Get moving. Yeah. Get your heart rate up. Yeah. Or is it a leisurely walk? I mean, I think I when I'm by myself, I walk pretty quick, anyways. Yeah. But my wife is so short. I have to walk very slow. I have and then the she's, she, situation. she told me that I walked slow the other day. And I was like, I do it for you, you jerk. <laughs> you didn't You didn't just say the last part. You just said, I, probably I do it for you. That's just the nature of our relationship. <laughs> um, what did you say? You've been married seven months? Wow, yeah. strong start. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Got to bump those numbers up. Um, but yeah, yeah. It and is so hot. It's supposed it's to be nasty. like 104 this weekend. Well. What is it right now? It's like, it's got to be close to 100. Guess who's not going? It's 93, it says. It's 93. Guess who's not going outside today? Feels like this it. This weekend. Okay, here's a question. Do you ever take Apollo for a walk? Does he? No, but Allie wants to get one of those like backpack, cat backpacks. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because he would not do well walking. Why? Just because he's an indoor cat. And yeah. even if you take him to the vet, on top of being nervous, he's also unused to being so hot. He's he, lived in air conditioning. Yeah. And yeah. so he immediately starts panting in the car. Which is a humorous thing to watch a cat pant. Yeah. No, he doesn't like it. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen cats being walked. They like, have. Like you walk a dog. Amazon, because I'm looking for stuff to buy for him. I just bought like a military-grade red dot light. <laughs> <clears throat> I've turned into the thing that I despised. Um, but Seven months of marriage, it's happening. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll come home <laughs> and my and Allie will be like, Wyatt, but she calls me whatever nickname she calls me. And um and I just go, Apollo. <laughs> I'm, I'm more excited to see the cat. For our listeners, uh, Apollo is our m- podcast mascot. Yeah. The one cat in all the world that I tend to uh, be favorable toward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an honor. Just on record, I, I do like cats when they belong to other people. I do like to pet cats and greet cats and all that, but I just find them uh, very, um, what's the word, aloof. So they're not quite as engaging. I'm like cold. More, much more of a dog fan. Big, yeah, big fan of dogs. But Charlie even told me that you went home after the first couple times that we recorded, and you actually talked about yeah our cat. No, I like. Said that you liked him. Yeah, but yeah, he's a pretty cool cat. He's the most dog-like cat. That's yeah, maybe that's him. it. Is he is very sociable. Yeah. No, he wants to be out and meet people. Normally, if he's awake, he's always waiting for you. So. Well, anyways, it's it's really hot here in Texas, but you and I get to sit down here for the next few minutes and have a conversation in air conditioning, and it's all good. Yep. <clears throat> so what are we talking about today? A very cheery topic. <laughs> nice and light. <laughs> nice and light. But rather fitting for the heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was quick. Um, well, that's what I am. Um, we're going to be talking about who who Satan is, who the devil is. Right. Last time, we talked about how to live in the world but not of it, which naturally drew the conversation towards God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, <clears throat> we alluded to the fact that the world is essentially the, the devil's kingdom. Right? He's kind of, he has some, at least, control over the world. Or let, outside of God's kingdom. And so I figured it'd be good for us to just talk about, okay. well, who is he? Because you hear a lot of confusing things, and people like to, I, I think I've said this joke, but I have this joke where I says that I think that the devil kind of gets a bad rap because everybody blames him for everything, which I think is a very pride. It's like, you think he's messing with you? <laughs> See, that's interesting that you say that because... The way I always hear it, everybody blames God and never blames Satan for the bad stuff that happens. Well, it's Christians that blame the devil. It uh, rains on a Sunday, and they're like, it's the enemy. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, it's just rain, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and you are right, especially if it rains during, you know, um, an outdoor church service. Well, that's yeah. the enemy just messing with trying to get the service accomplished. Yeah, or it's like, if look, if we're going to have... Um, uh, serving Sunday, it's going to rain. Yes, that's true. In our history of serving Sunday, which is the Sunday our yeah. church goes out into the community and, and serves a number of different projects, we have a really good chance of it raining. Yeah. In fact, we should sell that as a you know some sort of a, a resource. Hey, you need it to rain? We'll host a serving Sunday project and guarantee it's going to rain. Although yeah. this, this year we had, had wonderful weather. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I always say that I think he gets a bad rap just because everybody blames him for everything. And he's kind of this mysterious figure who appears as a snake. And then people talk about how he might have had legs or some weird stuff in the garden. Yeah, there's lots of different <clears throat> ideas. About but nobody that. really knows like who he is. And there's very, there's not a whole lot 
at least I'm aware of, in the scriptures, you kind of have like the general idea of what happened or how he became who he is. Um, but anyway, so I just kind of figured, let's yeah. talk about him. Okay. So start us off. Start us off. Where, where, where would I start us off? Um, probably the first thing, first couple of things I'd want somebody to understand is, um, so he's a, an angelic being. He was created by God as an angel who was originally good. So he is a celestial being in the way that God is a celestial being, but not even in the same ballpark. Uh, God being um, completely sufficient and the, you know, the uncaused cause is the way it, philosophers talk about God is he has no created origin. He's always existed. Satan has an origin, and so he's, he's a created being, but he's, he lives on a celestial realm. And then there's just you know a, a universe of difference between his capacity and God's capacity or God's character and his character. I mean, they're just not even the same other than celestial beings Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah so again it's you're right it's it's kind of a sketchy um origin story and history about how it all unfolded and i've heard lots of different timelines for all of this but here's here's kind of the basic most popular historical christian belief about this is that at some point in eternity past, God created angels for a variety of purposes. Um, seems like one of the purposes was uh, to exist to worship him. I, we could debate that, meaning why why would God feel compelled to do that? Again, that's a, just an interesting discussion. Well, same for ourselves, too. Yes. So um, these these angels existed... And I guess you'd say like human beings who were originally created perfect, but they had the capacity to choose. God grants them the capacity to choose to worship him. And again, the piecemeal story that we find scattered throughout the Old Testament and a few, a few clues in the New Testament is that at some point Satan, uh, the devil, he, he was this angel he was entrusted with a tremendous amount of influence and evidently a tremendous amount of uh, power or responsibility and the in the angelic realm and i guess the way we could say it it went to his head and he became enamored with self himself and he desired to be equal to god and god won't have that so he was summarily dismissed mm. from heaven, from his angelic role. And again, other clues, um, took a bunch of other angels with him. <clears throat> yeah, didn't he have, was there any kind of, do we know if there was any kind of like, did he essentially mount a, an attack? And then he lost and then got cast out, or is that just kind of? Yeah, I don't know that I could describe that from a 
you know, like a verse, chapter and verse perspective. Sounds cool. Evidently, there was, you you could describe it as in his being enamored with himself and desiring to be like God, um, I guess in in terms of like Hollywood, he he made a power play, mm-hmm. and and God stopped it and dismissed him, him and the host that went with him. And it's interesting. The common perception is that Satan lives in hell, but he doesn't. He actually lives on this earth. I think it's in Job. He he wanders to and fro throughout the earth. I mean, he's just always moving around. Um, so a celestial being confined to earth um, can't see him because of his celestial nature, but he doesn't live where most of us commonly think of where his home is. Um, in fact, I was, I was thinking about it on the way over here. I'm pretty sure it was in graduate school. I had this one textbook which was like one of my favorite textbooks ever. And it was on the kingdom of God. Mm. And um, I went looking for it a couple months ago, and I can't find it. I must have loaned it to somebody, and it never came back. Did That's I loan that to you? No. <laughs> I return I return things. I return. Because I know I would be upset. <laughs> yeah, so like one of my favorite books, I can't find it. But anyways, I remember, so I'm in what, my mid-20s when I was in graduate school. And I read this line in this book, and it just, it just, I'd never thought of this before. And the line was basically something like this, is God is the king of hell. Mm. I was like, what? You know, here I am, I've been to, I'm in Christian graduate school, I've been to a Christian college, I kind of grew up in these deeply theological circles and I was like God is the king of hell it made no sense to me and but then you dig down in behind and go wait a second he's the king over all yeah sovereignty yeah he's the king over all that exists of which hell exists he created it because he created all and then you're like that just blows your mind but then you start kind of putting the pieces together and and you realize that hell was created as a place of judgment for those who reject the salvation that God offers. And Revelation tells us that hell was created as the place of judgment for Satan at the end of all things. So, um, I don't know, I just remember that being such a curveball for me theologically. Oh, wait a second. Satan doesn't live in hell. If I'm consistent with what clues I have in Scripture, he lives on this earth. And God is the king of hell, which just kind of emphasizes, again, the, the enormity of contrast and difference between Satan as a cele- created celestial being and God as this eternal infinite being yeah it it takes some because we kind of think of it as these like two warring kings rather than one king that allows the dissident to exist still yes in the in the kingdom yeah it's uh, like yeah, you like, know 
Yeah, maybe the better way to say it, they are arch enemies, without a doubt. God and Satan are pitted against each other, fighting over the same thing. We can come back to that in a minute. But probably, you know, again, in a Hollywood sense, it would be like the king versus the prince. Mm. So he's not really an equal by way of kingly uh, power. But he's the aspiring, ambitious prince who wants to sit on the throne that God sits on, which is interesting because essentially you look at the temptation, what is that in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan tempts Jesus? That's one of the temptations is, you know, let me sit and receive your your worship. And so I, I, I think of it more as, you know, the ancient king and the upcoming prince whose, you know, ambitions are evil. He, he he longs to have the power and the influence of the ancient king. Mm. Um, so they are arch enemies, and they are pitted against each other. And the way I've always described it, they're fighting over the one thing, and that's the control of a human soul. So I think naturally the question would come up, and I think I know the answer, but you can tell me what you think. Why doesn't God just do away with this fellow? Like, if they're arch enemies, God is sovereign. He could yeah. do whatever he like. If he's such a thorn in his side, seemingly. Yeah. Why don't he just... Well, he will. He just hasn't. Because there's a larger redemptive storyline, a redemptive plan that's in motion. And um, once God... Once God rids himself of the thorn in his side, uh, the end of all things as we know it will have happened. Mm-hmm. So I guess in the long the long range perspective, God's giving human beings the opportunity to decide who's going to rule the throne of their hearts. Yeah, I was thinking because if choice because a lot of people don't even think about angels having free will yeah um or at least choice um and but but if angels do which seemingly they do if satan ended up where he was and we do it it is consistent that god wouldn't just blot him out because why wouldn't he just do the same with us sure and so it's consistent to do it all in one fell swoop at the end yeah you know kind of round everybody up at one time (laughs) <laughs> which, which is a, you know you read revelations 20 that's exactly what happens is all all human beings small and great stand before god as judge and give an account of their lives and particularly in relationship to their decision regarding the person of jesus and the, the atonement that he offers through the cross mm-hmm. and um so that's that's the conflict, the current conflict between the two is you have God making the invitation and the appeal to lost human beings to come to faith in his son Jesus and the work of the cross so that they could be rescued or saved. And Satan, again, passages of scripture that lead to this conclusion, Satan's primary work is to um, deceive or to um, enslave them in their sin and keep them from making that decision. Yeah, and one of the really 
interesting things, but I guess it's also something that's so dangerous is that now where does the name Lucifer Morningstar or Morningstar, where does that come from? Is that biblical? Yeah. That's so Old Testament. That's Old Testament? Sorry. <clears throat> yes. Um so basically in the in the you know, the pieces of the puzzle that we have Old and New Testament that we put together and we get this profile of the of Satan or the devil. Um, part of those pieces include um, both forms that he takes, um, the work that he does, names that he's been called, or names that are used to describe him. And those names generally, just like all names in the, in the scriptures, um, names are generally used as a way of denoting or describing some characteristic that a person possesses. So Jesus has multiple names. Uh, God has multiple names. And all of those names are unique to refer to some expression of who God is or who Jesus is. Uh, the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, you know, they all are just different expressions of the way that Satan either acts or presents himself. Yeah, well, I just found like the morning star, just because you normally... S- Think about the morning star as one being light, which yeah. is not what we uh, con- is it connotate with yeah. uh, with Satan. You would think of darkness. Yeah, because if you look at the passage that uses that phrase, again, I'm, I think I'm remembering correctly. Uh, if you look at that passage and the way that morning star is being used, it's used as a reference to the original mm. design of... Lucifer. He was he was the angel of angels. He was, you know, he was entrusted with this promise and this power and this um, you know, influence. He he was bright and he was kind of this positive uh representative of good and then he fell from that. Yeah. in his pride and in his desire to be like God. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that he would have, and I think even now, and I think you've said this in a seminar before, but he presents himself as, yeah, as a light, as being something angel good, of light. as yeah. an angel of light. So, again, that's that's his deceptive, yeah, you know, mo is he he takes on a variety of forms, or he uses a variety of strategies to accomplish his deceptive work. If you want to. For the listeners and and even you, uh, Lord of the Rings, I'm sure uh-huh. we've all aware aware of it. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. The bad guy in the movies is Sauron, okay? okay, and he's described as this eye. But before he was the eye, he was an actual like embodied person. So the Rings of Power that just recently came out on Amazon Prime, that's like the story of the creation of the One Ring and and Sauron, kind of like in an age before. Because he's kind of like an angelic being too, okay. and because Tolkien is a he's a, he he was cat I think he was Catholic, and uh, so all of his stuff is deeply you can see a whole bunch kind of, of like, spiritual yeah. parallels. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, the reason I'm bringing all this up is because I thought that the casting of Sauron was perfect for um, that type of deceptive uh, persona because he was this um, like beautiful gentle-looking man, yeah. and you would never think 
but he, but you could also tell. It's yeah. like you're almost too perfect, right? Something's off. Yeah. And then whenever, and then he he just played it so well, and it, I was just like, wow, that's a really 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 good casting of that to to make that deception of yeah of almost just like uh, profane profaning what should be good. Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, so the the whole reference of an angel of light is probably a nod to that the chief ambition of Satan is to deceive. Mm. But he doesn't always do that in dramatic or um, uh, strong, aggressive ways. Sometimes his deception is seductive. Sometimes it's manipulative. And sometimes on the surface it appears good and right and just but when you dig down into it you find out that the motive behind it or the the end game of it is not a good thing and and we're seeing this all through culture um and society right now but yeah and that's that's the point is that the work of satan while he's not god he's not capable of what god is capable of he's really good at what he does yeah He's the master of deception and evil. And because his primary uh, purpose is to deceive people away from the truth of the gospel, then he just has to be really good at kind of obscuring things so that they never fully see it for what it's worth or their need for it. So I want to get into his abilities, but I also want to ask a question that perhaps people are naturally asking, I know this is something that I came up with just logically. If we know you and I, if we know the end result, is this dude just like not no, seen the flyers? Like, does he not know what's happening? He's not seen the flyers. No, he knows what's happening. He's just really stuck in his way. Yeah. In fact, um, I, in preparing for this conversation, I read this great article and it said something like, He's so enraged, so blinded by his anger at knowing what the end is that it's just like this crazed individual who is just gone psycho in you know the last ditch effort to change the end of the story. I don't know if you've ever read John Milton's Paradise, Paradise Lost. I have not. Um, I would suggest, and this is somebody who can read... I can read kind of thick books, you know, yeah. weighty books. I would suggest audiobook because it's 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 kind of in that like New King James and it's all poetry. Yeah. So and so it's very difficult to read. And it's and it's a fiction, but uh, there's a line in it that basically it's Satan talking and he's saying I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's just like yeah, it's just yeah, it's just like an he's so full of pride and self-righteousness yeah. that he Yeah, so I liked how that author described it as, yes, he knows full well what the end story is. He knows he's doomed. But he's so full of himself that he's just determined to change the end of the story. He, you know, it's almost as if he's thinking, if I can get enough people deceived to reject the rightful king, then I can mount this sort of, you know, revolt or insurrection, and I can change the end of the prophetic story. 
And that's just you know, arrogant people are like that. Mm. It makes sense, though, especially if you're that close to God and knowing the end is already written. Like, don't you know that we would probably want, like the natural desire in us would want to rebel against that too? In that people don't like the idea of all of their actions being determined to a certain degree or knowing sure. that, well, God already knows what you're going to do. They don't like that feeling. Yeah. And if God already knows the outcome, it's like a, it's just like that rebellious child, you know? Yeah. And, and they just want to rebel against the parents. He's just like the ultimate example of that. It seems like. Yeah. It's an apt illustration. Nice. So abilities, um, what can he do? Because this is another place where I think that people give him too much credit. Poor fella. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, I, I, I've always wrestled here, too, with how other people interpret the capacity or the abilities of Satan. And some people, like you said, give him far too much credit. Um, I'm not a satan's underneath every rock kind of guy um i just think he is a powerful force for evil he's at work in the world and he has an you know he has a demonic host who works on his behalf and i guess you could you could say he's somewhat responsible for orchestrating all of that but you know any expression of sin um, that's what he can do. Any, any, any expression of deception and lie and seduction and um, misleading, he can do that. One, one passage in the New Testament is he's, he's, um, he's the author of um, false doctrine. Um, he loves that because it's just, you know, enough off of true north that people get misled by it and they Mm -hmm. they don't have to go far they're just away from the truth so um now are there people who are demon possessed yes i believe that um that he's capable of taking control of a human life i believe that i don't think that's as rampant as Maybe some people would like to think. Um, there's, there's some people he doesn't even have to mess with. He doesn't even have to concern himself with because they're so far from the truth and so steeped in their deception that he's like, I, well, I got that guy. Mm. I don't have to mess with him. Um, I got that group. They're so deceived. I don't have to mess with them. They're working for the good of my kingdom. I don't have to do anything. So really, I think the lion's share of his efforts would be concentrated on those people who pose the greatest threat to what he deems as his victory of deceiving people. So anybody speaking the truth, living the truth, anybody seeking to stand up for right and good, he's probably leveraging every trick in the book that he has to disqualify them or to silence them. The, those people, and I think those people who are kind of like the on-the-fence folk, like 
the ones who haven't really figured it out, they want to go one way or the other. Yeah. Um, or maybe like the the Christians in name only kind of crowd. <clears throat> the majority of the American populace, let's just say that. <laughs> um, like yeah, yeah, see that that crowd, the 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 crowd you just described. See, I'm not even really sure he's messing that much with them. Because he's got he's got them, what is it, lazy or apathetic or uncommittal, and that's 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 working for what he's trying to do. I think he was just really happy whenever we created media, because then he could just do it at such a oh yeah larger scale. Um, yeah. So what is it in um, Ephesians? It's called the Prince and the Power of the Air. Yeah. Now, think about that in the first century that those words are used to be describing him. So that's not technology, and that's not social media, and that's not you know the digital influences of the world. So um, that might look very different in a first century interpretation, but I think you're exactly right. Here in the 21st century, it's just on, you know... Um, it's hyper. It's it's going so much faster because of the profound access that media has, and what's what's becoming obvious the profound power that media has in its almost unlimited access. He can use that to do the work that he does, and and he is. Um, <laughs> Again, not a demon under every rock kind of thing, but um, you know, an honest person seeking to do a search on something about God has to fight through an algorithm that puts the best stuff, the most truthful stuff, as far down in that search engine as possible. And yeah. the, the first couple of hits are most likely going to be the things that are the most deceptive or the you know the most screwy so that they don't get the truth now again people say oh you're that's weird to think that you think he can I, I do only because i believe he's powerful and he's leveraging the tools of this world our culture our society to accomplish his purposes <clears throat> i think that I could be wrong, but I think that demon possession looks different than what we think it does. We think of like somebody crab walking on all fours on the ceiling <laughs> or screaming or having like all this strength and speaking in this like yeah. deep earl. That's, that's what Hollywood's made it out yeah. to be. Yeah. But I, I see it much more as being like possessed by evil ideas as being like what's the difference between being like having this idea that you're so controlled by that you can't see any truth and being demon possessed yeah so you're right in the sense that demon possession looks like a level of blindness that you are out of control of your own self but is that in fact I'll ask it. Is that in fact a demon inhabiting you, or is that a demon who's used his influence 
to create a blindness in you? How, how are you understanding that? Do you think there's it, actually a spirit being inhabiting that person? Or is it just the influence of evil having control of that person? It's more than likely, it's probably not an actual demon inside the person. The difference really doesn't matter yeah. from all, for all intents and purposes unless you want to fight them and then they have the, like, you know, if they have the strength or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, like, there's some people who are so pro certain things or so, so you know, yeah. that you're just like, that's, that's beyond the limit. Okay. Of like, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And here's the thing: the the truth is, if you look at particularly the Gospels, the story of Jesus, there are people inhabited by demons. And you know, most of those encounters that we have on record, he's casting out those demons. He's there's a demon inhabiting that person. Their behavior is erratic or whatever, and then he casts that demon out. Okay, so. It's certainly within the realm of possibility that, yes, a demon could inhabit a person. I don't think it is as prolific as some people want to make it. I'm more on that demon has a powerful influence, has studied the, the victim, and knows what it is that would lead them so far afield that it seems like they're so lost, so extreme in their blindness and their deception that, you can't help but think that's demonic in nature. And yes, I think there's some things transpiring in our society and certain voices for that, that it's demonic in nature. Whether a demon possesses that person, I, I'm, I don't think I'm qualified to say. Yeah, no, I mean, me neither, uh, obviously. But so probably more the screw tap screw tape letter route. Yes. Yes. For those that know. Uh book by C. S. Lewis, written from the perspective of this conversation with the these two demons. Um basically just talking about how to yeah, seduce this their human. tactics of deception. Yeah. And it's if you've never read the book, listener, I highly encourage it. It one, it's entertaining and interesting, so it's it's not like a difficult theological read the insights in it are amazing but yeah i think that screw tape letters is a wonderful um description of how i imagine it working mm. it's a very convicting book mm. uh, yeah i remember i read that book back mm. in maybe in high school and i remember finding it incredibly um, enlightening. Mm. Now again, it, it's a story, and it's it's got a certain literary license or imagination yeah. to it. Do do they do they really have these kind of you know strategy sessions to think? Okay, my, the Wilson guy. What what are we doing this week? With their I, big I, notepad, they're yeah, writing on. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Uh, that might be the you know literary license as a way of just providing the reader a picture to, to hang their thoughts on. But um, I do believe it's, it's all the work of Satan and his host 
is very strategic, is very calculated, is very intentional, is is very, and at times, very personal. I found it more, I think it's just a great book to understand maybe the proclivities and weaknesses of human nature. Yeah. What what is easily preyed upon by temptations? Uh, yeah, it might have been in the screw tape letters. It's been a long time since I've read the book, but it might have been in that, might have been something else. I remember one of the dawnings of the, of reading Satan cannot read your mind. God can read your mind. Yeah, yeah. Satan cannot read your mind. So then how does he learn our proclivities? He learns it by watching. So he sees the subtle nuances of what we chase after, what we value, um, how we behave, the things we do in secret. He, he has, he's a remarkable observer of human behavior, and he goes, oh, the Wilson guy. I see where he's weak. Mm. I see what is appealing to him. I see what he finds tempting. So then he's just going to... He's just going to turn that up times 10 and make, make sure that my life is full of those things as, you know, that cross my path because he knows they are appealing to me. He was like the Facebook algorithm <laughs> before the Facebook algorithm. <laughs> that would be a way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a student of human behavior. And, and trial and error, too. And we give them all sorts of clues as to what our weakness is for us. And because he preys on weakness, he moves in that direction. Well, I don't think that him, I don't, I don't think that we're all that unalike. Um, I mean, he offered Adam and Eve in the garden essentially the same thing he was after. It's like, hey, you'll become yeah. like God. Yeah. It's the same thing. Right. Um, you know, like pride's the main sin, and there's like seven big offshoots, and everything pretty much falls into that. And you can basically turn everything back to pride. Right. Um, so, I mean, there's only humans are way more simple than I think we think. But, oh, and from God's perspective, we're incredibly simple. Yeah. Because he's not dazzled by any of our, uh, any of our um, search for complexity he's because he's got it all figured out so he can kind of cut through the what shall we say the crapola (laughs) (laughs) and he he sees the very basic essence of who who we are and what we are so we kind of touched on this already but so what i guess is his uh current situation what is he? Situation. What? So we he said that he was here, prowling about. Um, but I guess what's going on in his world? Oh, you know what? He's, you know, if a company thinks about like a good economy and you know they're they're having a great uh, they're having a great year, you know, a company thinks about profits. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that right now Satan's thinking. We're having a good year. Our numbers are up. <laughs> yeah. The last several years, the pace at which deception and lies and manipulation and seduction, the pace at which it has been 
propagated is off the charts. And so, you know, we, I think in, just in a podcast not long ago, we were talking about like the proverbial slope and yeah. we're watching things go from bad to worse and evil's rampant. And there's this point to where you get over and the gravity just pulls you and now you're going downhill fast. Well, what we perceive as downhill fast, Satan's reading as that's up and to the north because it's going bad. And in his world, bad is good. Yeah. So I would say in the last several years, he's he's just watched the tide of what he's wanting to accomplish in men's and women's hearts. It's just, it's going so fast. And again, this, people may have a different idea about this. So let's say conservatives. Politically or philosophically? Uh, both. Got it. Okay. Conservatives are saying, wow, the influence of big tech, big corporation, big money, big influencers from politics to celebrities. Um, so many of them are becoming so vocal and so aggressive with the ideological agendas that are popular today. Okay, so we're looking at, you know, as conservatives going, man, tech is out of control and the government's out of control and academia's out of control and pharma, pharma, all that stuff. All right. So if we step back, okay, this is where people get spooky about it and start to think, oh, okay, now you're now you're off the charts. If you step back behind that kind of pull the spiritual veil apart, then yeah, I go, this is what Satan's up to today. He's leveraging every possible influence that has power over human beings and in the world in which they live. He's, he's leveraging that full tilt right now to accomplish his agendas. That's what he's doing. And that's everything from um, kind of the gender, sexual identity um, mess that we're in. That's the church losing its edge of um, a commitment to the truth of Scripture and the gospel and sort of moving a field <laughs> left of mm -hmm. center of truth, moving um, toward a more progressive theology of well this is really what god's like and this is really what the scriptures mean and it's more inclusive and accepting that's all that's all the work of satan to lead the church as the pillar of truth afield from its work and its mission and um it, the work that i mean the destruction that's happening to marriage happening to the home and family the destruction that's that's happening through um, academia of pushing more of an activistic ideology, really than you know, true education. I, I I do. If you step behind the veil of the spirit of darkness at work in his domain, the world, I I don't have any problem seeing the connection. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, but other people go, oh, now you're just getting, you're just bizarre. And I go. I wonder why we have that proclivity to just toss it away like that. I mean, what's that famous line? The the best scheme the devil ever pulled off is convincing the world he doesn't exist. Yeah. And, but like, why do we, why do we just always want to. Well, because I don't think we want to face up. It's the accountability to it. We don't want to face up to the implications of its truths. Because the minute we step behind the veil and acknowledge that there's this dark force called Satan and he's at work, well, then you have to open up to the fact that there's, there's a God and he has a kingdom of light and he calls people to it and there's an accountability there. And, you know, most, I think I can say this, most of the resistance to anything having to do with truth is I just don't want to be accountable to it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. So Satan's behind... Yeah, because, I mean, even there's even Christians that would push back and be like, well, I don't know. But, I mean, like, if we can say that certain things are evil, well, who's behind the evil? It's not God. Exactly. So Satan as the... Uh, author of evil is behind everything that is ultimately evil. Mm. Now, how he's doing that takes a wide variety of expressions from politics to education to cultural and social norms to morality to ethics. He's a, he's He has influence in all of that. A really good example, I think, would be like Karl Marx. It's one guy who had an idea. He himself didn't really accomplish much, but he wrote a book. Then he died. But then his philosophies caused the deaths of millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people. Right. And it's like, it's not far-fetched to believe that maybe a little seed was dropped into that dude's head. You know? Yeah. It's like it was such a destructive idea, set or the, uh, ideology. Um, I think that that, I definitely think that he probably works in ways such as that. I mean, look at yes. the effects Stephen's still having on us today. Yes. But I, to me, that's completely permissible. Because it's consistent with how would somebody go about misleading or deceiving an entire yep. population, generation, tribe of people. And, and that's, again, going back to the angel of light thing. Mm. You know, there's this funny, you know, the funny stereotype of of the devil is, you know, he's the guy dressed in red with the horns and the pitchfork. Again, that's kind of this Hollywood stereotype that's created. And Satan loves it because it just means people basically laugh. It's a caricature of him. A caricature. So people just laugh it off. But when you start to think in terms of the angel of light meaning he presents himself in such appealing ways that on the surface you trust him and you follow after his appeal. And it's only once you're down inside the hole that it then turns hopelessly wrong. So most people, they wouldn't even recognize it if it was happening to them. Um, what is Hebrews says... Uh, was it of Joseph, rather than enjoy 
sin for a season because that's the nature of sin is initially it's very appealing and very pleasurable and profitable and and uh, easy but it has a season and once it's kind of got its grips it's got its hooks in you then it starts to do the destructive work that it was intended to do and satan's behind all of that so um I think that's one of the reasons why so many people look at what's happening in our world and they're just blinded. They, they, they don't have a clue. They're falling for the counterfeit. Yeah. Because that's how I see it's like compassion and love and acceptance. It's, uh, those are all counterfeit versions of what they, should, what they actually are. Right. Uh, just in the same way that Satan is a counterfeit, you know, light bringer. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great way to describe that so he's so so yeah yeah I and mean, it's also one of those things like good intentions cause some of the worst problems too is it the the road to hell is paved yeah. with good intentions uh-huh uh-huh so many in so many of the ideas it's it's always they're always masked that way and and then you can make the you can make the most evil things sound great that way yes um, which is which is what's happening in our society right now. Yeah. The strong case being made for the wrong things being right. And when you have big tech and you have politics and you have celebrity and you have um, entertainment and you have retail and you have all these kind of normal everyday things, perpetuating it, that's how the masses are deceived by it because the masses are generally deceived by what is popular. And that shouldn't surprise us because you look at the book of Proverbs, um, the appeal of wisdom is a very small group of people. The appeal of foolishness is to the masses. Um, You look at uh, Jesus said, you know, the road that leads to life or heaven is the narrow road. Yeah. It's very tight and only a few, and he says only a few will find it. And, you know, I know that some people make that, want to make that sound like that's arrogance on our part, but um, it's, it's history has demonstrated it over and over and over again, that um, deception is powerful and masses of people can be deceived. Mm. And do horrible things. Like the likelihood of somebody becoming violent on their own is very low. But you surround them with 30 people all of a sudden, and they're all acting kind of... Out of control. Yeah, out of control. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's very interesting. I have some thoughts there that I won't share just because they're kind of... Yeah, because we were just talking about your unformed, wacky thoughts don't lead with those. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. Save those until you've percolated on them a while and crafted them. <laughs> I got, a, I got a bit tenure. More. They can't, can't kick me out. <laughs> yeah, craft those a little bit more delicately. Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. Um, okay. So that's kind of a certain. And, and we did kind of say that this, the world was his kingdom. So does he? So he has. I think we've already talked about this too, but maybe just to to go on it again. He has a kingdom, and it's the world. Yes. Um. And 
It's a kingdom in the sense that he currently has influence in it. It's not a, I don't perceive it as a kingdom like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a legitimate kingdom. The realm of Satan is a counterfeit kingdom. Well, and really, too, it's really just, it, it might even be, God is allowing him to exist here, where he's yes. not allowing him to exist in heaven anymore, in his presence. Right. He's allowing him to exist down here, but it's still God's kingdom. He can yes. just, it, he, he can only stay, he has whether, to stay here. Whether Satan wants to admit it or recognize it or not, he only lives within the permissions of God. Yeah, he's on house arrest to the world. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to say it. <laughs> Want to get? I'm so gonna get some demonic attacks against me now because <laughs> I'm just clowning them. <laughs> just clowning them. Is is that the way you think it works? Is if you clown them, then he's gonna no. match it up? <laughs> no, probably not. But I don't know. I mean, he's prideful, so he's like, man, that Wyatt guy. He's he's a thorn in my flesh. We're going to have to put some extra work on him. I would be honored. <laughs> there you go. Honestly. Yeah. I would be honored, but I doubt he knows my name. Yeah, so that might be actually a great question to think about. Is So what is a Christian's response to the reality of Satan and his work? It's kind of one of those things. Well, And this is why earlier the, the quote that I did, the greatest scheme he pulled off was, convincing the world he doesn't exist, well, you can't fight a battle that you are unwilling to admit that you're in mm-hmm. or unwilling to admit that there is an enemy. So if you, I would say, recognizing that he exists then gives you, uh, you're allowed to then make battle plans or defenses for oh. your life. Very good. Yeah, I think that's one of the, that's one of the ways that yeah. you would respond, that because a Christian, again, based on the truth of the scriptures, becomes aware that we have an enemy, the enemy is powerful and smart, and is at work to thwart God's presence in our life, then in that awareness, I respond, is I take the steps to protect myself, okay? The other one, classic verse, what, First John... Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So to Christians, Christ lives in us. So we have the advantage, we have the power and the resources to do that battle. Um, You're right, it's naive to think you don't have to do the battle. Uh, Ephesians 6, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, you know, the work of principalities and powers outside of us the spiritual realm so we're naive to think it's not something we engage in and most likely the christian who's living with a naivete about these things oh i don't believe in that satan stuff most likely are just being sucker punched in all sorts of ways by the work of satan because they're being lazy about it Mm. now Again, the balance is I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live petrified my entire life because I know I'm in this spiritual battle. Why? Because I have Christ, and I know how the story ends, and I know what my resources are in order to, to win in the battle, of everything from the power of Scripture to the power of prayer to the power of community, 
the power of worship. These are things that I can I can utilize as ways to strengthen my my battle with the work that Satan wants to try to accomplish in my life. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, did you, do you think that there's any other response? You said that that was like one way or one response. Well, the first, uh, I was thinking of two ways. The first way is to be aware, like you said, oh, okay. to be yeah, aware yeah. of the battle and to recognize the enemy and the way that he works. And then the second one is to not live in the fear or the defeat of it, but to recognize, but Christ lives in me and he's stronger and more powerful than the one who lives around me. Okay. Yeah. And so, and we touched on this already a little bit too, but um, we do agree that there are people who are interacting. Demons do interact more directly with people um but maybe it's it's probably more subtle than that right yes most of the time um or through other means rather than like direct possession yeah yeah yeah. um or direct engineering of rainy sundays um but do you think a reason why it kind of bugs me that we talk so much about it is because I think that it allows us to object, abdicate the responsibility of our own choices if we blame everything on him all the time. Yes. Um, it, it takes the responsibility or the consequence off of ourselves and we get to place it somewhere else. So what is that? That's my joke. That's the root of my joke that I think he gets a bad rap is because we're placing our own yeah, sin yeah. onto him. Yeah. yeah, so it's the ultimate victimology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what there was this this will date me. When I was a kid, there was a comedian that had a a shtick, a, a thing that he did and the devil made me do it. Mm. And so that's exactly what that's about is, well, I, I didn't do it. It's the devil, you know, did that. No, see, that's not how it works. Satan may have presented the temptation. He's provided the, um, the seductive appeal. But it's my choice about what I'm going to do with it. And so um, I ultimately share... I, I am ultimately responsible for the choices that I make regardless of how strong the appeal might have been and who it came from. Yeah, it's like criminals who... And in those, in those cases, it may have been voices in their head telling them to do it. Right. You know, if it's like a murderer or something. But we're still going to hold the criminal accountable. Yes. Regardless. And, yes, and so... My understanding is that when I stand before God someday and give an account of my life, I'm not going to be, oh, Satan made me do it. No, you chose. Yeah. So the ultimate accountability lies on you. So then that, going back to what we were just talking about, then that requires two things. I need to know how Satan works, and I need to know what the right thing to do is. Mm-hmm so that I make a good choice or I make a wise choice about here's the presenting 
situation. This is very appealing and tempting and seductive and pleasurable and whatever the word is. But I know, then I have responded, I know what the truth of God would have me to do, the will of God. So I have to make a choice. Am I going to pursue this or am I going to pursue what God invites me to? Mm -hmm. And that choice is mine. I have to own that. That's what... (sighs) It's one of those good intention things, and you can tell me what you think. We've we've moved, I guess, like the church, especially in America, we've it's fallen the trends of that cons, kind of consumeristic attitude, and it's also become we hear all, it's it's it is we talk a lot about relationship, mm-hmm. which it is a relationship, the relationship with God between yeah us and Jesus, us and God. Okay, um, I I don't know how helpful it was for us in the long term to move towards this like amorphous type thing and away from understanding because you can do both which there's a happy medium but we moved away from like understanding and knowing we talk about this all the time you and I but like knowing uh, about God knowing the scriptures mm-hmm. and and really developing in our discipleship We've kind of moved away from some of that, and we've and we've pushed it on this love relationship. Jesus is going to go to the coffee shop with me, kind of thing, and it's made us ignorant of what God's will is. So then we're so easily deceived whenever someone else says, "Well, it's loving to do this." Okay, I'm in. It's yeah. loving. What do you think? Does that okay. make sense? It absolutely makes sense, and who wins? Satan wins. Yeah. Anytime the church is tired, lazy, um, incorrect, even wrong in the slightest way in relationship to the truth, that's all to Satan's advantage. Mm. That's all that angel of light stuff where... His purposes and his agenda is being accomplished. And he doesn't have to work that hard if you got an entire group of people who believe themselves to be Christians who are deceived, who are wrong in their their theological grounding. So it's interesting if you look at the temptations of Jesus in the life of Adam and Eve and in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, What's one of the consistent tactics that he uses? He uses the words of God, but yeah. he misuses he them. He changes them slightly. He slightly changes them, and because they are not particular about how he changes them, then they, they're deceived to go in the direction that they weren't intended to go. Oh, let me tell you my favorite one of those Ooh, that we do all the time. Man, just energy just yep. came out of your Because it, I, one, one verse immediately came to me. You, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't think I am. Jesus told the disciples, the world will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. Uh-huh. He's referring to the church's love for itself. Like the members of the church, the, the Christians inside, like Christians love for other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, he is. That's right. my reading of that. And boy, do we use that incorrectly. They will know you're Christians by my love. For anybody and everything, that's what you're saying. Yes, how we say it. I know. And it grinds my gears so much. No, it was to be the love that Christians had for each other. 
that was such a compelling apologetic for the power of the gospel. Our summer bash. I felt that verse come alive then. In the good way. In a good way, yeah. yeah. Like that, I was like, this is that. Yeah, so for our listeners, last Sunday we had what's yeah. called our summer bash, where we kick off the summer and we had a big outdoor service and baptisms and worship and, and then a big picnic afterwards. And I, I'm with you. I, the whole time I was sitting there going, and and I intended to say it when I get up to do my my part of the service, and I, I kind of forgot because I got talking about something else, but... Um, I wanted to just I wanted to say this is a this is about as close to the truest expression of what church is and what it looked like in the first century as you'll ever find. Yep. Because it w- there was just such a I don't know it was such a beauty to folks just pulling up chairs and sitting around in community with each other celebrating all the best things of what it is to be a people of faith and then sharing a meal together which I, you and I both have a, a theology for the power and place of a meal amongst Christians and uh yeah I looked at last Sunday and I was just like ah this every Sunday should be this beautiful yep 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 but yeah that's <clears throat> It might all change this coming Sunday if it was 104 degrees and yeah. people were sitting outside. But yeah, it might start passing out. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, that's that's one of those examples. What was the example of? Now I'm forgetting. What was that verse an example of? Oh, just they mis- will know you're Christians by your love. Yeah, but it was just like another. a misuse of of. Oh yeah, yeah. So you were talking about yeah, how yeah. yeah. If people aren't precise in what the scriptures yeah. actually say, then they can be misled to believe a lot of things that are inconsistent. But it sounds good, it feels right, and that's that's angel of light stuff. Mm. They can't the recognize deception. a counterfeit. I remember um, I had a, a, a professor who once, he drew it on the board, and I don't have a board here, but um, he was talking about an airplane that's flying, if it's one degree off course. Mm. So one degree, that looks like such a small degree off. But he said, as the plane continues to fly, it goes further and further away from the, the true north that it was headed on. So that's what happens in the church theologically, when people aren't precise with how they understand the scriptures is they may get just one degree off. And then the further throughout church history that you get one degree off, pretty soon you wake up and you're accepting and applauding and adopting all sorts of things that are far, far afield from the very precise nature of God's truth. Yeah, And it again, it's happening in spades right now. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, I definitely think that's and work of evil, yeah, yeah the and, ones who are and, doing I, it. And I think you, you posted a reel recently um, on social media of something I was saying in a message. 
about how people want, they want me, the preacher, to applaud and approve certain things. Like, don't, don't come down so hard on that because that's uncomfortable and unpopular. And I think, I think that's an expression of the deception and the imprecision of how we understand the nature of God's word. And in that particular message, I was referencing um, Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus, before you became Christians, mm-hmm. you thought these ways, and so you lived this lifestyle. But now that you've become Christians because you've heard of, and he says, the truth in Jesus, you've heard the message of the gospel. Now we think differently and therefore live differently. And what I was referencing in that passage is that when he describes the kind of thinking that non-Christians are guided by, he uses some pretty strong terminology they're deceived, their hearts are hardened, they're separated from God. Like these, this very dramatic language yeah. of just how steeped in deception their, their very thinking is that it's impossible for them to draw a right and good and holy conclusion. So then in contrast, the Christian's been confronted with the truth in Christ and now is introduced to a whole new way of thinking as informed by the truth of God's word, which then reflects in a change of how they live and what they do. And that's the concern I have as a pastor for the church, particularly the one that I pastor, is how do I at times swim upstream in what's unpopular that people don't want to hear or, think, or they get uncomfortable with because they, they always want to interpret it as politics. How do I swim upstream and equip our church family to be able to recognize the deception and the, the futility of a thinking world, a, a world that's thinking like people who reject God? And I, I have a responsibility to equip the church family for that. And at times, to speak to it feels uncomfortable or feels awkward because we, we don't, just don't want to confront these things. But it's necessary if I'm going to shepherd the flock, as I'm entrusted to, uh, responsible for, shepherd the flock... To do that, sometimes I'm going to have to bring them back into, you know, a path that reflects good thinking. Well, I think, too, a, a, a pastor, I don't know what verse it is, but I know that, I think it says, teachers will be held to a higher account, right? Yeah, James. And so I think that every pastor should live in a nice, healthy, balanced amount of fear about what they're saying. Oh, I'm sure you do. Yes. And uh and so <laughs> if it like if you're confident in what you perceive to be the truth, what is the truth if you're confident in what is the truth of God's word, 
somebody coming up and complaining. Like I'm, every pastor should be way more fearful of having to answer to God when, whenever he stands before him, than the ticked off attendee. Yes, you know, they should be, but they're not always. The ticked off attendee can have a lot of power and influence in in what they choose to do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and, and so that's, you know, and just in like the last several years is, again, and I don't think this is a secret, we talk about it a lot here, um, my curiosity and interest in culture and society and what I see happening in relationship to the, you know, spiritual dynamics of it all, I'm becoming probably now more than ever um, really, I don't know, passionate or intent on just just tell them just tell them what the scripture says mm. no matter how unpopular or how uncomfortable you don't have to be a jerk about it you don't have to yell and scream at them but just direct them to the truth and then one i get to live in kind of the clear conscience of having done what i was supposed to do and then um i live and i think i told you this a couple weeks ago i just live in the promise the truth you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And um, me trying to dance around social issues and make everything acceptable doesn't doesn't lead to freedom. I just it just allows people to live in the deception of of their sin. Well, going back to like the the uh, he he masquerades as um, angel of light. Yeah, angel of light. Well, God's truth, the actual light, it illuminates what the evil, what Satan actually is. Yes. And and so, yeah, I completely agree. I love that. Yeah, the truth. Yeah, you've probably heard of Thomas Sowell. Oh, yeah. I, I need to find out more about this man because every time I read something from him. He just came out with a new book, actually. Oh, did he? Yeah. Um, anyways, I read a quote of his the other day. It said, um, if you want to help people, you tell them the truth. If you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. Mm. And that, man, it just like punched me right in the head. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's essentially the calling of a pastor. Is you, you can tell them what they want to hear. But really all that does is just help me. It helps limit the amount of cards and letters and criticism that I get. And I become a little bit more appealing to people who don't want to be accountable to their sin. I heard something the other day, too, that was very convicting. It was, the world best understands the church when the church is acting like the world. Because the church always has this desire to, it's like evangelistic to a point of being negative, of wanting to be so um, inviting or comfortable that, well, of course it makes sense. You're not, you're not really, you're saying the same stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know. Thomas Sowell's great. And, and that's so true too, because it's so much easier to just say, whatever makes you happy, follow your heart, do what makes you happy. Right. It's so much easier to say that. And then you can just, like, I'm just picturing people sitting there on their phones and one person says up their problem and they're like, just do whatever makes you happy. And you're like, oh my gosh. Really put in the effort on that one. You know, I ha I have a pretty vivid imagination, so 
there's a lot about my faith that I have an imagination of what it must be like. And there's so many times I've imagined what it will be like when we actually stand before the living God. Mm. And just all the games that we play and the excuses that we use and the rationalizations that we leverage are just they're just gonna be seen for the ignorance that they are and suddenly we're gonna stand before the living god and there's gonna be this host of people to say well this is what we thought love looked like and this is what we thought happiness looked like and this is what everybody believed to be the just thing to do and god's just it's if he wasn't so incredibly eternally gracious, you could just imagine him kind of sitting there shaking his head like, no, sorry. I don't think he's going to buy it. No, he's not going to buy it. And that's the thing is imagine standing before that with all of your secular philosophies and your, your corrupt ideologies and all of the rationalizations you've used for why people should have been allowed to do this and you should have been allowed to do that and you're standing before the eternal God of truth and you realize, I'm busted. I'm not going to be able to argue my way out of this. Um, I'm going to be completely at a loss. It's going to, you're going to feel like, you're going to feel naked in the sense that like Adam and Eve felt naked. Yes. Whenever they were in God's presence. Yeah, you, you will have... See, like now in academia or in in our society today, we have enough academic sort of credentials or, you know, well, this guy, he's a he's a Harvard professor and he decided this. And this team of scientists from California, Berkeley, you know, they they proved this. And and we stand with those. We kind of stand in the confidence of those kind of props. And then. You stand before the holy God. And he's like, Harvard who? What what scientist? I mean, the best science that they had doesn't even begin to hold a candle to what I understand to be the way things work. And so, yeah, we'll just be at a complete loss. And it's in that nakedness, it's in that loss that we have one defense, Jesus. Yeah. And they'll be there without him. And the sad thing for me is they'll be there without Jesus, their one defense, because a whole generation of preachers decided to lie to him to keep him off their back. What is the verse that I'll make foolish the people who are wise? Or Yeah. Um, what is it? How does it go? Oh, I can't quote it, Wyatt. <laughs> Come on. Well, essentially, I, I have the whole hey, book memorized. Essentially, just like hey, God saying... Like, yes, the intelligence you think you have is going to be foolishness. The wise of this world before me will be foolish. Per, I read a quote by G.K. Chesterton the other day, kind of on that same line of like, the, you know, we have all this stuff that we're using to defend our points. And but look where it's gotten us. We're arguing over the most fundamental things. Yeah. Well, what's a man and a woman? Someone define a woman. And I've asked, somebody has asked that question and they went on for like 10 minutes with like saying how complicated it was to answer the question. I'm like, wait a second, hang on, what, hush. 
<laughs> um, but anyways, G.K. Chesterton said, is this quote, and he I'm said... I'm sure I understand. Well. <laughs> there you go. Siri don't know. Un- unsurprising. Um, he, he was talking about how like modernity and all of these um, academics, how, how they all think that they're so intelligent, but we're, we're going to get to a place to where swords will be drawn to prove that two and two is four. And um, wars will be fought over whether or not trees are green in the summer. And I'm like, oh, man, if that wasn't the most true statement oh, yeah. from a guy born in, or that wrote it in, like, the early 1900s. Right. And it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And the case that you just cited, basic biology is so hotly contested that absurd things are being said and done over a complete lie. So it's not hard to imagine swords being drawn over stupid stuff because of the blindness, the deception that Satan has perpetrated on human society. Mm. What a fun... What a fun time we're in. <laughs> what a fun topic. Tell you what, it gives me something to do, though. What's <laughs> it's that? not the best of times, but it gives me something to do. <laughs> and that's actually that? that's a good quote. I don't know. I feel uh, gifted in a way to understand it and speak about it. Okay. So Good. No, you're, you're a very, very good thinker about these kinds of things, and I appreciate that. I try. You do a lot of reading. I really admire that about you. You seem to be very I had a lull recently, but I tried read a prolific reader. I it it helps. And I don't want to seem like I don't read when I talk to people, even though I doubt they'll notice. But what's the old quote? Uh leaders are readers and readers are leaders. Yeah. <clears throat> reading has definitely had the biggest effect on me. Um as someone who doesn't have a formal degree and didn't go to a formal college reading has made it to where I let's just in the nicest way I'm unembarrassed I'm unembarrassed around my degree holding peers peers yeah well the truth of the matter is you have probably read more in your four years post high school than they did even in the course of getting a college degree yeah oh yeah and you've you've read probably more substantive stuff and over a wider range i'm not you know like i have some friends that know a lot about chemistry but that's it yeah yeah um i have good cocktail party knowledge (laughs) i think that's the way i do do. because i can talk about a little bit of everything yeah and i love that there's not a whole lot of areas where I'm completely ignorant. I mean, don't get me wrong. No, no. I'm very ignorant. There's not a whole <laughs> lot of like topics that people would talk about that I can't add they some kind of connection some, to. Make some kind of a connection. Just because I've read things too. Yeah. yeah. There's a whole that famous quote of like the more you the more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything. Oh yeah. Which yeah. is just so true. That's where I am. But it's those people who don't know much who think they know a lot. Yeah. I don't know that I'm have a bandwidth to contribute across a wide variety of conversations 
my thing is I'm so stupid curious. I'm curious about everything. You just ask questions. So I just ask questions. Yeah. And just tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. So that's really how I engage in social settings a lot of times is not being the guy who can contribute, but being the guy who's curious and saying, oh, really? Where did you find out? And how do you do that? That's just me. Well, and that's probably a better description of what I meant anyways, because like I can talk to my friend that's in medical school and I don't, I don't know anything about what he, but I know enough that like I can ask okay questions, Okay, you know, and I can, and I can understand enough that he can talk to me like he doesn't have to explain every single thing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I definitely ask more questions about those areas, you know, things that are outside of mine the theological and philosophical realm. So wrapping up this discussion, did you know that in the book of Proverbs that one of the telltale characteristic of a wise person is that they are curious to learn? Mm, Makes sense. And they go seeking knowledge amongst those who would have it. The fool, on the other hand, they don't want to learn. They don't want to ask questions. They don't want to be curious. They think they have it all figured out. And so they, they plunge headlong down a path of destruction because they refuse to learn. And going back to our original topic, Satan loves that. Yep. Satan loves the fool because the fool determines that they know it all. And Satan... If he's, if he's able to guide them toward a deceived sort of life and be, you know, passionate and intent in it to where they refuse to, to learn, it's a win. But it's that person who's curious and open and realizes I don't have it all figured out and goes searching for knowledge beyond themselves. That's a threat because in the course of learning, they come to know the truth. Yeah, I completely agree. We have all recently gone through uh, an event where doing your own research was a really bad thing to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a perfect example of what you just said. Um, But yeah, I completely agree. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode on Mr. Satan. (laughs) Mr. Satan. (laughs) <laughs> that's Mr. Satan to that's you. That's Mr. Satan to you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I think this was good. I think that it helped put it in context. Because nobody really, how often do we do sermons on just the devil, you know? Not Any very churches. often. No. Yeah, so I, I, I close with this. The more real he is, and the better your understanding of him the wiser you are. Mm. But that is not to say that you live in fear of him because in your wisdom you know whose you are, who lives in you by the indwelling Holy Spirit, and you know the end of the story. So we are aware of Satan. We are um, respectful of his power, but we are not intimidated by it because we are sons and daughters of God, and we've been equipped to win that battle. Vigilant. Vigilant. It's a good, good word. word. 
And with that, we're off. See you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibolo Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CibeloCreek.com. Thanks for listening.